This is Due South on WUNC. I'm Leonita Inge. Growing up in Florida, it always seemed so lush and green. But sometimes, traveling down the highway, I would see these trees that look like monsters wrapped in these villainous vines that weren't strong enough to climb. Today, these vines can produce a lemonade-like beverage and has even led to the creation of a nonprofit in western North Carolina that wants to bring public awareness to its uses for food, fiber, and art. What am I talking about? That's the Red Clay Ramblers from Kutzu, a southern musical. Alexis Hawk recently wrote about Kutzu for The Bitter Southerner. The title of the article, Of Vines and Villains, Kutzu's Twisted History and Climb Toward Redemption. Jeff Tiberi and I talked with Alexis about Kutzu's long and winding history, and it became clear that it's something that has been on her mind since she was a child. Where I grew up in Atlanta, um, kudzu is pretty legendary, and I recall it from uh, my early childhood. Um, There was a huge kudzu patch behind our house that uh, my brother and I used to like to go and kind of marvel at, um, and we would also swing on some of the kudzu vines. So to give you a visual, basically, you know, this, this looks when you see where kudzu has sort of taken over. You know, it basically looks like this with these rolling waves of just green. The the leaf itself of the kudzu plant kind of looks like this large, flat, almost heart shape. But really what you take in is just the immensity of how vast it grows. It climbs up trees. It climbs over basically anything that's in its path. And when I was uh, growing up, I mean, I, just kudzu patches were almost everywhere you looked in places where, you know, it just sort of had had been let to, you know, to grow um, at will. Um, and, you know, when I say it's legendary, it's also because, you know, there was a lot of ink devoted uh, in my local paper. And then also, you know, I just remember people talking about kudzu as sort of this scourge on the landscape, right, that would just smother everything. But, you know, to me, it also looked um, kind of kind of almost mythical, um, you know, when I would pass by a kudzu patch. I remember being very fascinated by just the sea of green. It's a plant that's native to Japan and parts of China. It came here, you know, as you allude to, um, a long time ago, a century ago. What is the kudzu line and what has led to, I don't know, it's it, the, hatred's a strong word, but the Invasive hatred Invasive species, that's what it is. Yeah, so um, in brief, it did come over as part of the World's Fair in the late 19th century. That's when a lot of sources point to as sort of the the original time that it arrived here. And it was kind of used as this, you know, decorative plant, because like I said, it is, even if it's, uh, it's quite villainous in a lot of views, it, you know, I think everybody can agree it's, it's quite beguiling in a lot of ways to look at. Uh, and then in the 1930s, you know, and I think this is the story of a lot of invasive species. You know, every region has its hated invasive species, whether it's plants or insects. And this is actually what, you know, really fascinated me about it. Um, But, you know, I think often invasive species are brought in um, to solve a problem as sort of a quick solution to um, something that, you know, is troubling a lot of people, particularly maybe farmers or, you know, is affecting an industry. 
And in this case, it was seen as, you know, okay, here's a plant that grows really quickly. It was all the reasons that we now hate it, basically, or the reasons why they thought, oh, this would be, you know, great um, as a way of helping with soil erosion. So the idea was, you know, we'll plant this, it, it's very hardy plant, you know, it grows really quickly and, um, you know, it will help us to, um, keep the soil uh, together to, you know, it's, it's actually a very rich vine, um, you know, it's, it's nutrient rich, you know, but the problem was that, you know, anytime you bring in and introduce a new plant to an area where the native plants are, are not used to it, um, you know, it will, and, and there are not natural predators, you know, there's not sort of, it doesn't fit with the, the ecosystem that it's coming into. A lot of times, you know, we see over and over, it will dominate everything, you know, it will sort of take over. And Alexis, um, farmers but, got paid to grow this. Yes. In, in the 1930s, farmers were paid quite handsomely, actually, um, to plant acres and acres of kudzu. And a lot of this was, you know, they, they were really being, um, there were these proselytizers, you know, um, I talk about Channing Cope, who wrote for the Atlanta Constitution in the 1940s and 50s. And he was a big proponent of kudzu and how this was sort of the miracle, you know, he called it, uh, you know, sent from God, basically, to help farmers. Um, but yes, farmers were paid about $8 per acre um, to plant kudzu. So it, it becomes something of this agricultural and cultural phenomenon. Uh, and then things start to change a little bit in the 50s and 60s. Tell us what happened and why. Yeah. So as best I can tell, you know, basically it took a couple decades from when there were these kudzu parades and kudzu pageants in the 1940s and people were celebrating kudzu to basically uh, realizing that it was extremely hard to control. You know, the roots grow extremely deep. Um, the vines, you know, creep along at a, a really fast pace. And so by the 1970s, um, Things had shifted and the USDA actually declared it um, as one of the worst weeds in the country. Um, so actually, that was the first time that it was listed as officially a weed instead of, you know, this plant that they were encouraging people to plant. Uh, are there particular native species that kudzu was particularly detrimental toward? Or just all of them? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what's interesting to me, um, I'll give you uh, one anecdote that I got from Pam Torlina with Conserving Carolina and the, the Kudzu Warriors group that she leads. Basically, you know, Kudzu will roll over and basically smother anything that it can climb onto or get on top of. So this includes, you know, I mean, you've seen it climb up trees, you've seen it climb up buildings. Um, but, you know, there is this, there was always when I was growing up, there was a myth that, you know, don't go in the kudzu patch because there are lots of snakes there. You'll right? get lost um, in the kudzu patch. Exactly. <laughs> um, get but, devoured you know, that, in the kudzu patch. Exactly, yes. Um, but, you know, that that this idea that there were lots of snakes also in the kudzu. But what she told me was that, you know, actually there really are no snakes. There's actually really no life in the kudzu patch, um, you know, because because there are no plants, you know, there are no animals that are there, you know, looking for food. And then because of that, there are going to be no snakes that are looking for those animals to potentially go after. So she was like, if you do see snakes, it's because we're, you know, doing our work and we're cutting back on the kudzu and that life is returning. 
So I would say not nothing in particular that it targets, but um, you know, it's it's uh, it'll just roll over whatever is is in its path. Alexis Hawk is here with us on Do South. We're chatting about Kudzu uh, and some of the pop culture, I don't know, spinoffs or or threads that are uh, important to understanding it and its place within the South. You mentioned a couple of moments ago, Alexis, the Kudzu Warriors. Tell us who the Kudzu Warriors are and and what it is they seek to accomplish. Yeah, so um, the Kudzu Warriors, uh, they're based in Western North Carolina. Um, I met up with them in specifically Tryon, North Carolina, but it, which is very close to Asheville. I think the time that I met up with them, it was about 20 people. So it's actually pretty robust group of regulars who um, go out, uh, spend their uh, Monday morning going up onto various hillsides in parks and, uh, you know, in some of the mountain ranges um, to dig up the root crowns of the kudzu that has really taken over a lot of the the mountainsides um, in that area. Um, And they've they've been working um, diligently for about 10 years um, and have actually have made incremental but uh but definitely noticeable progress in um cutting back on the amount of kudzu that's growing on the mountainside Mm, that's remarkable i was wondering if these warriors were actually getting anything done and if if it was (laughs) if it was noticeable at all because when it's a kudzu can grow a foot a day just keeps going I mean, it's, you know, the, and I did ask them about that, you know, is this the task of Sisyphus, right? You know, are we just sort of cutting it back and then it grows right back? But, you know, they did point to there is a contrast because right across the road, um, you know, there was the the mountainside that we were working on. Um, and then across the way, there was a privately owned property that just had you know, kudzu as far as the eye could see. And, you know, they said basically this side, you know, started out the same as that one. Um, And what they do is, you know, they go when it's cold out, when the leaves are not in bloom, when it's just the vines, um, you know, basically wintertime, they go in and that's when they can really get to the roots. And it is, it is hard work. I was out there with, you know, all the tools, you know, digging and trying to, you know, and I, my back began to hurt after like an hour but they do take advantage when it's not actually when the leaves are not out um, to try to get as much done uh, pulling up the roots as they can. So did you do your part in eating the kudzu? Did you try that, Alexis? I mean, <laughs> because we know this organization was is it kudzu culture, you know, you talk about the mm-hmm. teas that they make and, you know, the different food. Is that tasty? That would be probably the only way to get rid of kudzu. It's got to make it to rest on the plate. <laughs> Um, you know, so, well, and I will, I mean, with the kudzu warriors, when we went to coffee afterward, uh, one of the volunteers had brought this like tincture to add to your coffee. Um, if, uh, you know, that had been made from, uh, I guess, kudzu root, but I did connect with a chef in Athens, Georgia, who, you know, one of the features of her restaurant, um, homemade is, uh, foraged food. And so um, she does cook with kudzu. She has told me I wasn't able to taste any of her dishes with the leaves because at the time that I was um, interviewing her, you know, the leaves weren't out. So they, you know, wouldn't, she wouldn't have been able to collect any um, to be fresh, but she does put them in things like quiches. And she said that they're not great on their own, um, that they're, they're pretty tough. Um, But what she did let me taste was a kudzu lemonade that she makes with the flour, which has been boiled down into a simple syrup, 
Um, it's kind of purplish pink. Um, it smells like grape Kool-Aid. Um, and, you know, basically you take it, you add some lemon juice to it, and it sort of changes colors as you swirl it around. And, you know, it was, it was yummy. I mean, um, it tasted a lot like Kool-Aid. So I did get to try that. That, that sounds to me like something that could be family friendly for a picnic, could use something a little bit stronger if you're at like a tailgate. Are there, <laughs> is, is this a mixer potentially? It is actually. So she does make both the kid friendly version of just the lemonade and then um, you can add a, a liquor to it if you would like. So, um, you know, that's their, she calls it the electric Kool-Aid lemonade and okay. um uh, I'm, uh, and I'll put this marketing idea out there for somebody uh, smarter and with more time than me. But I think that um, Kudzu Moonshine has uh, a possibility somewhere down the line. <laughs> I think we could find and I like to say there are a whole lot of tough green leaf foods that we eat now. Well, we all I, kale. Right? I was about to say making making a killing in the stores mm-hmm. now. Uh, Absolutely, uh, Alexis. Let I, I want to. Leonita mentioned the the Kudzu Culture nonprofit organization in Western North Carolina, and we're alluding to some of this specific to food. But they're trying to uh, I, I don't know uh, celebrate uh, food, fiber, art. Tell us a little bit more about what the Kudzu Culture nonprofit is is trying to accomplish. What else are they working on? I find them um, quite quite fascinating. Um, they're not at all in any way advocating for, you know, hey, kudzu is great and we should have more kudzu. Um, in fact, a lot of their workshops and, you know, events that they'll host, they start off showing people how to go out and, you know, cut down the vines and, you know, bring back uh, materials that they can use um, primarily, you know, to create textiles and, you know, they create bird houses. They, you know, they can make, there are actually artists that are working with kudzu culture that are, are quite renowned in, uh, you know, Western North Carolina for making these textiles. Um, so basically just showing people that there's more to kudzu than just cutting it down and discarding it. But they do take people out to actually cut it down. But I think the main thing that they're focused on is also just contextualizing it that, you know, this is um, a plant that, you know, was not native to the U.S. and was sort of brought here without the full scope of knowledge of what it can do and how it grows and what it, what it can be used for. We just sort of planted it and didn't ask questions, right? You know, um, and that, that was the root of the problem. So bringing back some of that history and the context and the knowledge that, you know, this is being used in China and Japan in particular ways that we can also incorporate um, into our daily lives if we so choose. Well, thank you very much, Alexis Hawk, for being here. And we just want to tell kids, don't swing on those vines. Like Alexis, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Alexis Hawk wrote about kudzu for The Bitter Southerner. She's a freelance writer who also works in healthcare communications. Before we say goodbye, Jeff had some thoughts on his performance in that interview. I call them welcome to the South moments. I had one when I first moved here in 2006. Mm. I was at the DMV and I was like, can we speed this up, lady, to the person <gasps> in front of me? No, I, in my head. I didn't actually say wow. that out loud. But I just had another welcome to the South moment because I just kept mispronouncing kudzu. 
I kept saying kudzu. I told you how to pronounce it, though. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't like actively not listening to you. I was just in my own head on it. This is, but like, I don't think I'm alone. I think this, like, this is what happens to, to people throughout Cary uh, and people throughout the Triangle and other yeah. Northerners like me. Kudzu, kudzu. We don't, we don't have this where I grew up. And I grew kudzu. up with kudzu, and that's why I told you this is how to pronounce it. And that's that. I hope you know I was I wasn't being dismissive of you. It was disrespectful, dismissive. Now that seems a little strong. <laughs> that seems a little strong. I'm just picking on you. Don't like I said. Don't let your kid try to climb a kudzu vine. I will not but do just that. don't do that. I would like for kudzu to be readily available with like kale chips. That sounds really good to me. I'd like to try that. I don't regularly. think I want any more green chips. How about that? Fair enough. <laughs> Cut zoo you in, later. In the. <laughs>